the book of Mark, chapter 5 today. Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read beginning in verse number 22. A wonderful, wonderful, thrilling story. Mark 5 and 22, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. But a certain woman, which had an issue of blood, 12 years came, and last Sunday night I spoke to you on that passage. Now today we're going back and getting the passage that wraps around it. So now if you'll skip forward... That story we've already covered. Go with me now down to verse 35. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered or allowed no man to follow him, saying, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he comes to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, why make ye this ado and weep? The, master, or the, the uh, damsel is not dead, but she sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when he had put them all out, he takes the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and he entereth in where the damsel was lying. He took the damsel by the hand, and he said unto her, Talitha kuma, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly or immediately that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, we have here one of the three accounts of the Lord Jesus Christ raising people to the dead in the Bible. And it's such a powerful little story. But I want to draw from it, I draw from it, my title to you this morning for this message. Are we foolish to look for the resurrection? Now, we're entering right now the uh, Easter season. And in the next few weeks, we'll be emphasizing that in various ways. And the Christian faith has the resurrection as one of the foundation stones. The Apostle Paul said, if there be no resurrection, our faith is vain, our preaching is vain, and everything that we believe as Christians falls apart. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the cornerstones of the faith. Take it away, and the whole house of faith will fall to the ground. 
So today, I want to take you through this passage, and then I want us to talk about, do we really believe in a bodily and in a physical resurrection as we begin to prepare our hearts for this Easter season? I began by noticing here immediately in this passage in verse number 22, a ruler of the synagogue named Jairus came to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is somewhat distraught because his little 12-year-old daughter is so sick that he says she's at the point of death. She's still ill at this point. He comes and he falls down and prostrates himself at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously believing Jesus Christ is God, that he is a special being, or he wouldn't fall at his feet like this. No Jew would ever have done that otherwise. And so he acknowledges who Christ is. By the fact that he is a ruler of the synagogue implies that he is a man of position. He's a man of some rank. He probably was a wealthy man, affluent, because in the Jewish culture that would lead to that type of position. In verse 23, he simply says, my little daughter is sick and at the point of death. Lord, would you come and help my little girl? And he reaches out to the Lord Jesus Christ with this air of desperation here. Now, in verse 24 then, we find, or verse 25, a a certain woman comes which has an issue of blood. She's hemorrhaging in some way. We don't know how. So last Sunday night, I spoke to you on this passage. She comes and just interrupts, if you will. She says, uh, Jesus is talking to Jairus, but this woman is so desperate. She's spent everything she's ever had on the physicians, on the medical cost, and nobody can help her. She's beyond hope and help. And she just interferes. She intrudes. She just breaks in. She may have even been rude by our culture. And she says, Jesus, excuse me, I'm having a little sinus issues here today. Jesus, I need you to come and help me. And she's the one who ultimately worked her way through the crowd and came up behind him and touched the hem of his garment. Well, he stops and he ministers to her and then he heals her of her infirmity. And then the attention in verse 34 comes back to this man, Jairus. But while he's talking to Jairus, while the Lord is talking to Jairus, someone comes and tells them that the little girl, Jairus's little 12-year-old daughter, has passed away. And so the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't even seem to break a step. He just, now he begins to proceed to, to Jairus's house. And uh, we learn a lesson. Mark this down today. Number one today, no one is beyond the reach of sorrow. No one is beyond the reach of sorrow. I look over a congregation that's had quite a number of deaths and serious illnesses over the last few weeks and months. And it touches every one of us. As I have told you, this man is a successful man. But I want to tell you, success in life is not an antidote to sorrow. I want to tell you today that great achievement and accomplishment in your life will not protect you from a broken heart. I want to tell you that into each life, some rain 
not only must fall, but will fall and is going to fall. And every one of us are going to be touched. Every one of us are going to walk behind the casket at some point or other of a dear loved one. Every one of us are going to go to the hospitals and we're going to feel that anxious tenseness in our stomach as we talk to the physicians and we talk to the people who attend them, hoping against hope that somehow they're going to be better. And nobody here is going to get an exempt card on that. Every one of us are going to have those kinds of experiences. And so Jairus's worst nightmare, as we say today, came true. Your little daughter is dead, Jairus. And all of his money and all of his position and all of his influence didn't help one bit. He had lost the most precious thing, no doubt, in all of his life. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 9 and 27, it is appointed unto man once, once to die. No reincarnation, no going around and coming back, no second chances. It is appointed unto man once to die. And then after that, we meet God. Now, I learned something years ago. When there's bad weather, gloomy weather outside, people kind of bring it with them. And uh, you don't want to preach on the solemnest, that's not a good word, the most solemn message you ever preached on a rainy day. And I don't, and I look at your faces and I can see it. Some of you carry your weather with you instead of getting beyond the weather outside and carrying your own weather, you know. But at any rate, I want to say this to you. You say, Pastor, that's a pretty gloomy subject you're talking about. You're talking to us about death, aren't you? You're right. You're getting it. I'm telling you that every family and every individual here one of these days is going to walk behind the casket, as many of you already have recently. And I'm telling you that the most important thing in your life, more important than your education, more important than your job, more important than your relationships and your plans and your goals and your good time is to be ready when the big bell rings because it's going to ring for you. You say, Pastor, you're being negative. Don't talk to me about death. I made a little agreement with this church as a kid preacher. You quit dying, I'll quit talking about death. (laughs) But until that day, I could not be God's man and stand here and hold the holy book in my hand and avoid the most important date you'll ever have in your life. It'll not be the date you take your test. It'll not be the date when you walk down the aisle in marriage. It'll be the date when you meet the maker of the heavens and the earth, the creator of all time. Listen to me today. No one is beyond the reach of sorrow. Everyone at one time will experience it and we'll experience it deeply, I promise you. There's a second thing I see in this passage here. I see the power, though, of the Lord Jesus Christ over death. The power that the Lord Jesus Christ had over death. In verse 35, the messenger comes from the home of, the, of Jairus and says, Thy daughter is dead. Don't trouble the master anymore. There's nothing that he can do. And I want you to note the response of the Lord Jesus Christ. Immediately, there's no time lag in here, verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word, he said, 
Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. Now, imagine how difficult that would be. You just heard the message, your daughter is dead. Your little girl is dead. The treasure of your life, the most precious thing in the world to you is she's passed away. There's no hope. People don't come back from the dead, or at least not very often. And so Jesus immediately turns to him and says, Jairus, don't be troubled. Have peace. Come on, let's go over to your house, and I'm going to see what I can do to help you over there. And so they went to his home. Look what happens when they get to his home. It says that people are mourning. And in those days, you know, we have different funeral customs depending on what culture we live in and what time in history we live. Well, in the Jewish culture, I don't know if you remember this from past Bible study, but they hired mourners. Now, you, think, you and I think that's ridiculous. I'm going to go out here and find 10 people in the congregation and say, now, I've lost a loved one, and I'm going to give you $25 if you'll come over to my house and cry real loud and make a big ado. And that's exactly what they did. You can see that they were making an ado. It, it, it says in verse 38, it uses the word, Jesus saw the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And they had actual people whose job was to mourn and to weep and to show emotion, to show grief at a funeral. Can you imagine such a thing? And so I just pay you and I said, now when I walk up, I want the tears to flow. I really want you to carry on. I want you to be grief stricken. And they're paid people. Now, we wouldn't do that. But we have some very strange things too, and, and, and I won't get into that. But Jesus came through that crowd of paid mourners. And in verse 39, he said to them, stop, hush, quieten down. Because this little girl, this damsel, as our Bible calls her, a little single girl, 12 years old, she's not dead. And I want you to notice the response of the people. Verse number 40, they laughed him to scorn. They ridiculed Jesus. Can you imagine anybody ridiculing the Lord Jesus Christ who just mocks him and looks in his face and laughs at the Lord of glory? And yet that's precisely what we see happening here in this passage. They laughed at Jesus. Now in the Bible, in the New Testament, listen to me, I want you to learn something as well today. There are four accounts in the gospels of resurrections, four. First of all, there is this account right here where Jesus raises this little 12-year-old girl back to life. She'd only been dead for apparently a short time, maybe a few hours at the most. And so he raises a little girl back to life. There's a second story in the book of Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is entering a little city called Nain, N-A-I-N, Nain. And as he enters, as he approaches the little city, a funeral procession is coming out through one of the gates of the city, and on it is the body of a young man, maybe 25 or 30 years old. His mother is a widow. He is her only means of support. And there's a crowd of people gathered around the bier, the gurney on which they're carrying him. And the Lord Jesus Christ stops the funeral procession and he raises this young man to life. 
So we have a little girl that he raised to life. We have a young man that he raised to life. And then later, the Lord Jesus Christ is approached by the sisters of a man named Lazarus who happened to be his best and closest friend outside of the disciples. And the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, is some distance away. It takes him four days to get there. And so now we have a mature man. We have a man who has been dead, a body that has been dead for four days and has already been buried. But the Lord Jesus Christ goes and he stands outside that tomb of Lazarus and he cups his hand. Lazarus, come forth. One of the great expositors of the past said, he said, Lazarus, because had he not, everybody in that cemetery would have come forth. I don't know if that's true or not, but Lazarus, come forth. And this man, this body that the sister said, you can't even open the grave, he stinketh. Decomposition has already sat in. A a grotesque thought. But this man comes out of that grave stumbling and reeling because he's all wound up in these grave clothes. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Three people, a little girl, a single man, a man in his maturity, a little girl whose body probably is still warm or just a few hours after her death, a young man who the preparations have all been made and they're carrying him outside the gate, a man who's been already buried for four days. So all kinds of people, all different circumstances, and every time Jesus walked up, he raised that person from the dead. In fact, I like what someone else said, that the Lord Jesus Christ, every time he met a funeral procession, he broke it up. He broke up every funeral he ever was around. And, and we read that. We see that here in, in the accounts of the Gospels. Now, but I told you there's a fourth. And the fourth one, of course, is the resurrection of our Lord himself. And so I came to this passage to preach to you today, and I thought, well, Easter's coming. Should I preach on the resurrection twice in close succession? And my conclusion was, well, preach the Bible as it comes out. Preach it as we go through it, number one. But secondly... I don't think we can know enough about the resurrection. And so my subject this morning, are we foolish to look for the resurrection? In the Lord's own resurrection, there is so much there for us to see about his power, how he demonstrated his power over death. Now, I've been reviewing with you as we've gone through for the sake of learning. Go back with me to chapter 1 of the book of Mark, and let me remind you again about the power, the almighty power of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm a Christian. Most of you are Christians. We believe, we worship Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I want you to see his almighty power because there's such an assault today on the person of Christ in our culture. So many voices trying to pull him down and just make him a good, a great teacher, a good man, a perfect example. He was all of that, but ladies and gentlemen, he was also the son of God. He was God in human flesh. And I want you to see how as we go through the book of Mark, he is demonstrating his almighty power. And so I go to Mark chapter 1, and I look in verse number 13, and he meets with Satan. 
And then I go down, and he defeats the devil in the temptation. And then I go down further in the passage, and I see in verse number 32 that they brought unto him disease and all that were possessed of devils, and he cast out the devils. So what I want you to see is that Jesus Christ had power over the unseen world. Jesus Christ has power over the devil and over his demons. Then if you'll look in the same chapter here, you see that, or in the same verse, he has power over diseases. And over and over and over, he heals people. Jesus has power over devils. He has power over diseases. And then in chapter number four, turn over there. And we, we also, I preach to you from the passage on where he is asleep in the boat and the storm comes up. Chapter four and verse 35 through 41. And they wake the Lord Jesus Christ up as he sleeps in the back of that little boat. And they said, Master, help us. We're going to perish. And we see the power of Jesus Christ again as he speaks to the sea, the waves, and they quieten down, lay down, as I told you, like little puppy dogs. So what do we have? We have a Savior this morning. Now get this. We have a Savior this morning who has power over the devil. We have a Savior today who has power over disease. We have a Savior today who has power over nature. And now we see him standing here in this home, and he's a Savior who has power over death. The almighty power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He even had power when death took him. He voluntarily died. You know that. His life was not taken from him. He said, I laid down my life. Nobody has power to take my life. He could have said one word, and all those soldiers would have fallen back, stricken with his power. But he gave his life because he was our substitute. He took our place. But listen, a man named William Lane Craig has, is, is an apologist for Christianity. He makes the arguments in favor of the Christian faith. And Dr. Craig says this about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his own resurrection. Number one, Jesus was buried in a tomb owned by Joseph, whose location was publicly known. He wasn't hidden away somewhere. He was buried in the midst of a cemetery, if you will. The location of that tomb was known by Jews, by Christians, his own followers, and by the Romans. The Romans came and sealed that tomb, which meant they put the signature, the imprimatur, the symbol of the Roman government on it and cemented the rock in place. And then they posted a guard of at least eight Roman soldiers, according to the terminology. Who do you think in that day would have gone and broken open a sealed tomb with the signature or the, the, the stamp of the Roman government on it and walked through eight big burly Roman soldiers to capture his body. We know that. That's a fact. We know a second fact. On Sunday, after his burial, the tomb was found empty by a group of his women, woman, women followers. So these women went there to, to visit the tomb, and what do we find? We find the tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away. Fact. 
Fact number three, in the days that followed, on multiple occasions, under various circumstances, different individuals and different groups all gave testimony that they had seen him and he was alive. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul said, in, on one occasion, now imagine this, on one occasion, over 500 people saw him at one time. He spoke to a crowd of over 500 people. How many witnesses does it take to make a testimony stick? Two, three, four. On one occasion, 500 different people saw the Lord Jesus Christ alive after his death. After his death, his original disciples went into hiding. And we read the scripture accounts and we see them in despair. We see all hope gone. We see see men who seem to be depressed. We see men who are gripped with fear that if they did this to our leader, what will they do to us if they find us? Fear, despair, going away into hiding. And yet those same 11 original disciples after the resurrection of Christ were willing to go throughout the world and preach the gospel boldly, fearlessly, aggressively even. They never backed up or equivocated one moment. What was it that changed their fear and their despair into faith that would face lions and tigers and the fires in the Colosseum? Only one thing. They had seen the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were utterly convinced of the truth of that, and they were willing to seal that testimony with their own blood. Lastly, In the city where Jesus was publicly crucified, tens of thousands of people. Now, we we estimate there were 3,000 or more people who actually witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ because it was in a public place, probably on a main thoroughfare. The Romans always crucified on thoroughfares because they wanted to instill fear into the heart of the population. So no doubt he was... His, his crucifixion was very, very public. Over 3,000 people are estimated to have walked by the cross. In that same city where he was publicly crucified, executed, tens of thousands of people came to believe in a very short time that he was alive, and they began to receive him as their Savior and Lord. And so we turn over to the book of Acts. It's six weeks six weeks after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what do we find? Tens of thousands of people coming to Christ. 3,000 of those people who lived within a mile or two of that cross were baptized on that first day after Peter preached the gospel. They were utterly convinced and willing to publicly stand up in front of their peers and then their community and become public followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me go back and put it together. We see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated. He had power over disease. He had power over demons. He had power over nature. And then when death took him, he had power over the death 
that's still his own body. And here I've given you five evidences that I believe Jesus Christ physically, visibly walked out of that tomb and is alive today. Now that's the foundation of our faith. First Corinthians 15, Paul says, if, if, we, if, if the resurrection of Christ did not literally happen, our faith is in vain. Everything we believe. If, if Jesus Christ didn't walk out of that tomb, you really are foolish for being here today. There's no reason to come to church anymore. There's no reason to believe anything else in the Bible because that is foundational. That's the heart of our faith, that our Savior died on that cross. He was the substitute for my sins. My sins were punished right up there on that cross. And then three days later, death could not hold him pray. Jesus, my Savior, he took its bonds away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose. The power of the Lord Jesus Christ to conquer death. Now, in the light of that, are we foolish to believe in the resurrection? Because a secular culture today, an unbelieving world today, would ridicule and laugh at you and me when we talk about the resurrection of Christ, just like that crowd of professional mourners laughed at him when he walked in there and said, that little girl is asleep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her life in just a moment. And the world today looks at you and me with skepticism. More and more that's true as we lose our Judeo-Christian base. And they think we're some sort of, of nuts, that it's extreme. You really do believe that this man you call Jesus Christ came to the earth and died on a cross, and after three days in some hot Middle Eastern tomb, he walks out of that tomb? And I have to say, I plead guilty. That's exactly what I believe. That's what I'm counting on for my soul's salvation for all of eternity. You're right, I believe that. If that makes me extremist, I plead guilty. Both hands are up. William Jennings Bryan ran for president twice in our country, was defeated obviously both times, but was known as one of the most brilliant men of his day. And he was a great orator. He had this oration he gave. Now today, people don't want to hear speeches. But in that day, that was a form of entertainment for the public almost. People would buy tickets and go hear a great orator. And here's what he said in an oration that he, he, he gave this hundreds of times across the country. It was entitled, The Prince of Peace. Who will estimate the peace which a belief in a future life has brought to the hearts of the sorrowing sons of men? Read it with me again. Who will estimate the peace which that belief in a future life brings to our hearts when we're in sorrow over the losses that we've had. He believed in the resurrection of Christ. I'm out on the west side of town making a visit the other day, talking to somebody. I drove by the cemetery where my mom and dad lay. And I'm Remember the day when we buried Dad, 98. Mom, we buried her 10 years ago now, this year. 
There wasn't anybody in the cemetery. It was a late Saturday afternoon. The place was deserted. I was the only one there. Well, not really, but I was the only one vertical that was there. <clears throat> I walked over to where the two grave plots are. There's my dad's headstone, my mom's. I stand there for a few minutes. I don't go to the graveyard very often. Excuse me, it's supposed to be, y'all call it a cemetery, don't you? But I'm a country boy. It's a graveyard where I came from. I don't go out there to the cemetery very often and stand there. And I, but I did that day. I don't know why. I just decided I'm going to go visit mom and dad's grave. And I stood there, looked at his grave, gospel preacher, looked at her grave, beloved wife and mother, dates. I stood there a few minutes, and then I thought, Mom's been there for 10 years, or her body's been there. Daddy's been there about 14 years. There's not much here. There's really not anything here. I don't even know why I'm standing here. I'm standing here out of pure respect and honor for two people that I love. Truth be told, they're no more here. All that they left behind was an old tabernacle and an old shell that was worn out. Mama was 96 and Daddy was 91. And they've been here for 10 years. I don't know why I'm standing here. They're up there. They might even, I don't think they can see me, but if they were, they'd probably say, Bill, what are you doing there? Because we're not there. I know you took our bodies out there out of love and respect, but Bill, we're not there. We're in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't stay long, five minutes, I guess. I turned and I left. Now, if I didn't believe that, though, put that slide back up there, William Jennings Bryan, please. Think of the peace that I have as I stand by that grave. What is it that gives me hope? I'll see mom and dad again. They're not gone. They're just gone for a while. Someday I'll see my mother and my daddy, and you'll see your loved one. And you'll see your friends, and you'll see those that knew the Lord, and they're in eternity. What peace that gives me. What a difference if I did, if I were an atheist or a skeptic, and I, oh, you know, I don't believe that stuff. Well, it doesn't leave you much hope. It doesn't leave you anything but just despair. But the peace which a belief in a future life has brought to the hearts of the sorrowing sons of men. Oh, Job was interested in that question. In chapter 14 and verse 14, Job said, if a man die, question, will he live again? Answer, yes. Isaiah chapter 25 in the Bible. You might want to turn with me because I'll, I'll read them real quick and then we'll be through. But Job said, if a man die, will he live again? Isaiah chapter 25, the old prophet Isaiah was thinking about this. And here's what he said. Are we foolish to look for, the re for a resurrection? And in Isaiah 25 and 8, he will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. 
And I go to the book of Hosea, the minor prophet, chapter 13, verse 14. Listen to these words. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plague. O grave, I will be thy destruction. And all the way through my Bible, most of all, I want you to see John chapter 5 with me real quick. Turn there, because these are the words of our Lord. Are we foolish to, to believe in the resurrection of the Lord and of our loved ones? John chapter 5 and verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and it now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. There's the resurrection. And they, shall, they that hear shall live. As the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to me, the Son, to have life in myself. And hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he's the Son of Man. Marvel not at this. Now mark this in your Bible. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves, all shall hear his voice. And shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Notice two or three things. He's talking about the dead in verse number five or 25. That word is used. He says, the dead, all the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And then he says, all of them will live again. And then he says that he is the judge who will judge them. The one who hung on the cross will be the judge. And then he says there will be two resurrections in verse 29. One resurrection for those who have received Christ as their Savior. And a second resurrection for those who've done evil described in Revelation 20. We call it the great white throne judgment. I was typing my notes for the funeral of Bill Boucher a week ago yesterday. And as I sat at my computer, I don't know why I did this. I hit the save button and it said where to save it. And I got a file in my computer that says funeral outlines and messages. So I hit that one. It took my document over there and saved it in funerals. And for some reason, I looked at the list of names because I list the names. There they were, one, I started counting them just since I've had that one computer. Bill Boucher was number 75. That's just one computer. Then I got my computer at work and I got my computer I carry around. So I don't, and then for years I didn't have a computer and I've been burying people. I don't know how many funerals I've had. Hundreds, hundreds. Every time I've preached the funeral of an unsaved person, I go out there to the graveyard, the city of death, and I stand there beside their casket and I read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, that you sorrow not as the people that have no hope because we do have hope. You sorrow not as those that have no hope because one day, a trumpet will sound and an angel will shout and all that are in the grave, 
that know the Lord Jesus Christ will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. That gives me hope. I've been out there 75 times from one computer list, but every time I've thought, I believe in the resurrection. What Jesus could do for a dead body of a little girl and a young man and a friend and for himself, he can also do for a dead soul. And who am I speaking to in the house today that you have never come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? You might have religion. You might intellectually believe, but you've never really committed your life to Jesus Christ and to his gospel. And our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.